You're listening to Story Trails The Interviews, a micro-series that precedes the complete Story Trails series launch by Becky Stirrup. Like you, I came across Pant, that magicalist, and he tried to put me in a jar to keep me safe. Keep me safe, I ask you. (laughs) Somebody better keep him safe from me. Now, come on, let's keep going. Oh, just jump over. (coughs) Bottles of rocks and pebbles and things like that. Not jars. (laughs) We like painted stones best of all, of course. Uh, My village, do you know this? (laughs) My village. uh, Mind that, there. (laughs) You're a lot bigger than me, you can walk much quicker. Um, my village thought that they were the only boggles all across the Enchanted Trail until I began my expeditions. Uh, it's, it's lots of us. Oh, y- you know, I wonder if there are any boggles in the human world. That really would be exploring. Going to the human realm. Oh, you know, I think I might petition the council. Oh, there we go. I think I can hear Pan coming. Thanks for stopping me. That was really good. Bye. You've been listening to Story Trails The Interviews, a podcast for grown-ups and children to enjoy together. This micro-series has been developed specifically to provide families with something fun to do during these tricky times. Each episode introduces a character from the Enchanted Realm, gives you a creative mission that, should you choose to accept, may result in your wonderful creations being displayed on the Story Trails website, and includes a chapter from the latest draft of my book, The Knotbird. Keep listening for this week's creative mission and the chapter from the Knotbird. This week's creative mission is to decorate a rock or stone. If you leave it out, a boggle might even move in. Boggles make great neighbours. Take pictures of your creations and send them to info at storytrails.co.uk or tweet to at storytrails.uk. Remember to keep checking the website to see your work displayed at www.storytrails.co.uk and keep listening for this week's chapter from The Knotbird. The Knotbird is intended for children from the ages of 8 to 10, but some younger and some older children may enjoy it. The story includes themes of family, separation, friendship and identity. Towards the end of the book, it also includes some violence and death. I hope you enjoy the following chapter. The Knotbird, Chapter 9 Burrow watched Chiru. He knew that the other birds whispered about him. When Flodder was there, Burroughs' watching had seemed somehow justified, but now the colony's patience was wearing thin. Such activity was not tolerated among their kind. Chiru was busy with their chicks. She was the model of a perfect bird mother. Burrow felt his downy feathers rise. She should have been the perfect mate to him. They had promised each other. Instead... She had chosen a creature that was not even a bird over him. If he had been cruel, it was because she gave him no choice. He had been right about the knot-bird. Burrow had never wished to hurt her. It was not a crime to be right. And now nothing stood between them. 
but she would not take him back. He was the laughing stock. If anyone was cruel, it was Cheru. Suddenly she looked up, as if she knew what he was thinking. They locked eyes. Perot looked away. Then he snapped back and fiercely stared. He would not be made to feel shame by her. Cheru shivered at Perot's stare. He was so angry she thought he might burn away. She held his gaze. She was not frightened of him anymore. There was nothing left for him to do to her. Eventually, he stepped from his distant branch and flew away. She slumped a little then. The moment had been a battle, and she was worn thin. Her days were full of grief since Flodder had been banished. She filled them with her chicks. They dulled the pain. But the hollow ache inside was becoming such a part of her she would not recognise herself without it. Her sadness seemed to gift her with a natural empathy. And as the days passed, other birds began to confide in her. She would absorb their confusion, and they always left refreshed. They could not understand Burrow's continued anger toward her. Chiru never questioned, never judged. She simply listened, offering advice or words of comfort. And all who came to her began to wonder at the attitudes they had held towards her strange green chick. They never spoke of it. But if they could return to an earlier time, they would have been kinder. Flodder licked his lips. Ever since he left the wood, food had been scarce. He wasn't very good at surprising worms and beetles, and all the fruit he could find was on small bushes and bitter At first he had kept away from the cultivated land. The birds had warned him that a cruel predator called man patrolled it. But curiosity and a lovely smell had won. Flodder stared at rows and rows of small red fruit. He looked for a long time before deciding that it was safe. He ate one, then another, and another, and soon his little belly was filling out. He was so happy he thought he would never leave. Then he heard a strange purring sound and felt a rush of air. Flodder jumped aside and flew out of reach of the cat. It was a monster. He had never seen one before, but the birds had talked of them. They were the stuff of nightmares. Unlike falcons that killed for hunger, cats took pleasure and little else in the hunt. But... As he hovered just above it, he thought he heard it laugh. Flodder watched the cat. When he had jumped aside, it had immediately relaxed and sat down to clean its whiskers. A moment ago, it had been hunting and now it was cleaning itself. It looked at Flodder. Very good evasion. Flodder blinked, unsure of what to do. But Chiru had always taught him to be polite, so he nodded his head and said, Thank you. Not a bird, and too early for a bat. Are you going to stay up there while we exchange the most eloquent of pleasantries? I think I had better. You tried to catch me. Sport, my dear, whatever you are, sport. I attempted, you evaded. I'm not hungry, but it seems that you are. 
You might as well finish your meal. I'm told that strawberries are quite tasty. How do I know you won't try to catch me again? Most likely I will. It's in my nature, you see, and one can't deny one's nature, can one? But I predict that I will be able to control myself for at least a short while. And you have proved that you can escape if needs be. Despite himself, Flodda smiled. The cat jumped back. Good Siamese! Is that a grimace or a challenge? Or are you pleased? Flodder gently let himself down to ground level, but at a suitable distance from the feline. I was smiling, he said. Ah, good to know. The expressions of other beasts are often so very different, what? Flodder found himself enchanted by the cat. Do you really find it so difficult to control your nature? The cat gently plucked a nearby strawberry and rolled it to Flodder. Of course I do, dear chap. A cat that barks is nevertheless a cat. The cat watched as Flodder took a big bite out of the strawberry. And what, pray tell, are you? Flodder frowned and the strawberry seemed to lose its flavour. He chewed and swallowed and put the rest of it down. I don't know. The cat stopped cleaning his whiskers. How can you not know? I've never seen another creature like me. I just hatched in Cheru's nest with all her other chicks and the cat made a face. Ugh, birds. You were raised by those feathered things. What's wrong with them? Nothing, I suppose. They're just so stuffy, so full of their stupid rules and blah, blah, blah. They do taste rather pleasant, though. Flodder tensed to this, and the cat smiled. Don't mind me, my green friend. It's in my nature, is all. Natural enemy is what? Look, allow me to introduce myself. I am White Whisker. He dropped to the ground, stretching out in the sun and winked at Flodder. My friends call me White. Flodder blinked. The cat was white all over except for his whiskers, which were black. White noticed the frown. It's ironic, don't you know? Flodder nodded, and because he knew it was a grave matter to exchange names, he gravely said, I am called Flodder. Well met, Flodder. And the cat sprang. Flodder fell back from the claws, ripping at his wing. Two mighty flaps and he was out of White's reach. His head was ringing. Flodder flew as best he could with a damaged wing. Behind, he heard White call after him. Flodder! Come on, don't take it like that! It's in my nature, what? Merchan sat at the top of the tallest tree. He had barely moved from that spot since banishing Flodder. The birds chattered. Merchan was losing his will. Chiru heard the talk, offhand at first, but it grew until something like worry pierced her. Perot was watching again, and he saw her leave the nest with such a purposeful flight his curiosity peaked, and without thinking, he followed. Chiru saw the great leader's silhouette against the setting sun. Even thin and strained, he was impressive. Chiru slowly approached. Marchan heard another bird. He did not turn. They always left after a while. But not this bird. The soft breath stayed near him well into the night until finally he spoke. What do you want? he said. Nothing. 
Mochan turned, surprised to hear Chiria's voice. He expected her hatred, her anger, anything but the calm that greeted him. I... He looked at the ground far below. He wanted to tell her how sorry he was. He just didn't have the words. It is okay, Moachan, she said. It is not, said Moachan. Cheru, I banished your son, she sighed. You had no choice. There is always a choice, Marchan closed his eyes, and she saw the depth of his sadness. Chiru hopped closer. Marchan, he did not look up, and she whispered, Marchan, I will not say this again. You will listen and believe me. He nodded, and she carried on, her voice full of strength. You are the leader of the birds. You must put the many before the few. I do not blame you. And I tell you that you dishonour my son to sit here day after day feeling sorry for yourself. But you did what was necessary as the leader. If you stop leading now, then it was for nothing. You must not allow this. I looked into his eyes, Drew. He was so lost, so confused. He will find himself. He is strong. Moachan could not believe that Chiri was the same bird he had known. When did you become so strong, he said. She took a deep breath and looked at Moachan. There is no other way left for me. They were silent for a long time. And Marchan thought he could hear Chiru holding back tears. She spoke first. Marchan? Yes? Do not speak of Flodder to me again. She flew away, and Marchan sat on his branch through the rest of the night. He went over and over Chiru's words. <laughs> Flodder fell under a hedge. His head was thumping and he couldn't think. The cat had damaged him, but it was not the wing that troubled him now. It was the ringing, the strange ringing in his ears. His head felt so heavy. Flodder tried to keep it in. He tried to hold on to the ringing. It would go away. It would go away. It would go away. But his head grew heavier and the ringing grew louder and then something rumbled inside and he opened his mouth. As Flodder drifted into unconsciousness, an acrid smell lingered. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Story Trails, The Interviews, created and acted by Becky Stirrup. The wonderful music was provided by the very talented King Rich, and for a full list of sound effects and credits, please see the show notes. Thank you for coming on this journey with me. Remember, words are magic, and that's why putting letters in order is called spelling. Spelling.